Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, the class of 2020. Today, we talk to Thomas Leffler, class of 2008. Today, we talk to Thomas Leffler, class of 2008, a PhD candidate at University of Wisconsin-Madison, beginning his research on climate change and emerging infectious diseases. Tom will explain how global studies as a freshman at WeGo led to global studies as a major at University of Illinois that took him from South America all the way to the North Pole. Joining us today from the class of 2008 is Thomas Leffler. Thomas, what do you do? Hey, Brian. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, Currently, I am a PhD student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I am part of the Nelson Institute for Environmental Science, um, and my research here will specifically focus on climate and environmental changes and its relation to uh, infectious disease, uh, emerging infectious diseases. Um, wow. And I have just started classes today, so that is the start of this journey, but I've uh, coming here or you know, getting to this point, um, I have a, a, ba- a bachelor's degree in global studies and French, and I also have a master's degree in public health and uh, international development. Um, so those things kind of led me to this point, and uh, yeah, let's start starting well, off on well, a new chapter. Don't worry, so. I'm going to have a lot of follow up questions to every yeah. every part of that because it sounds to me that sounds like you have a in a, a very wide ranging interdisciplinary uh, background before you got to where you're going, and especially the, the concentration of your PhD studies seems to be fairly um, important given where we are right now in the world with infectious diseases and the spread of it uh, and uh, obviously the impending changes of climate change with all that. So, all right. So uh, where did you go after WeGo? Yeah. Um, So I graduated early from WeGo um, by using uh, like summer courses and a correspondence course. Um, I kind of just wanted to be to be out of high school and kind of done with that phase. So that was a, that was a step that made sense to me. And I didn't really have a great plan after that. Um, I worked for, uh, my family has a family business. I worked for that for a little bit and I just went to a community college. Um, I went to College of DuPage for a semester and yeah, I kind of been part of the reason of trying to leave high school early and kind of thinking about what I wanted to do in my life at that point, like I really wanted to go live in different places, explore different places. So I moved, I, I went to COD for a year, for a semester, and then also went to a community college in Berkeley, California, just because I wanted to go live in Berkeley. I just worked a part-time job and went to, went to a community college out there and rented a room. And uh, that was, <laughs> that was an adventure, but I didn't really know what I was, you know, I was 17, 18, didn't really know what I was doing at the time. And uh lived that for a bit and then eventually over the next year or so I transferred into uh transferred into to U of I um to start undergraduate school um yeah I, uh, like I mean that's that's not common for people to in some ways I don't know if this would be there's a, a technical what you did was technically a gap year, but um, you certainly didn't roll right into the four-year college plan and all that, but you did something very uh, uniquely 
risky, which is to pack up and, and just go to the other side of the country and live yeah. in a very unique college town like Berkeley. Um, what was that like? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I, it really opened at, at the time, like it was what I I don't know. I wanted to get something typical, something other than kind of typical suburban American lifestyle. And to me, that was like, from what I, from what I, from my worldview at the time, you know, that was something that was interesting to me. Um, so I chose to per, chose to pursue that. Um, and I feel like, like a lot of life experiences, like you, you know, it was a great, it was a great experience, but it was also something that just taught me, like there were things you find out what you don't know, or you find out things that you might not like and those things inform you just as well as you know having a really good experience or something um and yeah you're kind of touching on touching on kind of the gap year aspect like that that was definitely interesting to me because I, or definitely something that i wanted to do because i wasn't really sure you know what you know i, I wasn't i wasn't ready just to go to college and just you know go for you know a straight degree professional program or something like that so i wanted to take that time just kind of exploring um living life a little bit you could say um and but also during that time like kind of wanted to build you know continue to build skills so i did go to, to do community college um when i was out there and back in chicago like i said um and i also did two other kind of programs that were kind of kind of gap year -y kind of things uh, i did i did a spanish immersion program in costa rica for a couple of weeks um that was really rewarding um and i also did a program called outward bound which is like a like a wilderness skills program. Um, and I think both of those were really good, like foundational experiences, just obviously Spanish in terms of just, you know, a, a concrete skill, but also, but in terms of um, learning who you want to be, learning how to be yourself, you know, those things help you define that. Uh, if I heard you correctly, at, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, early that you said that you were, that you also studied French. So would this mean that yeah. you are multilingual, that you are able to speak somewhat fluently in <laughs> Spanish French uh, as well? If this was 2013, the answer would be yes, but <laughs> the answer, the answer <laughs> now <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I'm able to keep up a little bit. There's like a French house on campus here uh, before COVID, like, you know, they would, ho they would host like a weekly lunch or something. And you, you know, the idea you just go and speak French. Um, and then actually a bunch of, a lot of my friends in town are native Spanish speakers. So it's not like, it's not like language practice, but you know, I can, I can, I can, I can tell the, the occasional quip or something. Uh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. So, so then you, you said you went to U of I and you, yeah. you got a degree in global studies. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was we, Mr. Saner and I had you in global studies your freshman year. Um, yeah. Obviously they're, they're different, but it would, that there is a, I, I'm guessing an interdisciplinary spirit to that program. What was that like? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, inter I think interdisciplinary studies have been like the most interesting thing to me rather than just going for like one, one like pure standard subject matter. Um, so that was maybe kind of starting off at, at my beginning of my college experience. I was I was really looking at geography programs, environmental science programs. Like I kind of knew that that would inform my education and, and it was the direction I wanted to go. And I maybe made a, uh, uh, what you said, uh, 
made a de- made a decision at the time that if I was to study environmental science, that it would just kind of be like a depressing thing for the rest of my career. <laughs> but, right. um, I've accepted that at this point. Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> um, but so I got but you know, kind of that experience um, taking that Spanish immersion course that was in in Costa Rica um, and traveling a little bit with my family, like around that you know for around that time, like kind of really informed me that I wanted to be involved in something that kind of gave you like an international or global perspective. Um, and also within the context of that, like at U of I, I was really able, like that because it's an interdisciplinary program, like I could really tail the coursework, tailor, tailor the coursework, um, you know, in the, in the direction that I wanted to go. Um, and you know, they kind of, you start off with kind of your basic courses and, and through that, you kind of figure out where, um, you know, where you want to go. So I, so I ended up studying a lot of, uh, international development through that, uh, through that program, um, or through, through my degree, um, kind of starting in economic development and kind of moving more towards, uh, health and development and kind of, uh, migrant issues. Um, that's just kind of where my coursework and my interests led me through that. Um, and that program, um, the degree program, I mean, it, it requires you to study abroad. Um, so I've did, um, a couple summer programs, uh, summer program in France, uh, it, requires you to study abroad and you also have to study a language. So, um, your study, your study abroad location and your language, you know, they have to correspond. Um, so so I was studying French. Um, I was able to study abroad in France for a summer, Sweden and the Arctic for a summer, um, Belgium for a summer. Um, and, and, and the reason I'm, I was studied French instead of Spanish, I did take some Spanish classes at first was, I actually went back to Costa Rica, took that same language program when I was in college, and and I met a really cute girl from Canada there who spoke French, and I was like, hey, maybe I should uh, learn French too <laughs> instead of Spanish. <laughs> and I came back from that, and I was like, well, I have time to change this to French, and <laughs> and I did. So that makes was, sense <laughs> to me. <I> mean... <laughs> that was how that ended up. <laughs> it's great. I, I never saw. Her. I never saw her again. So oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so so okay that's funny uh sorry, sorry that uh that uh but at least you got um uh, you were able to, to develop to so roll that into yeah. something good yeah. no, I'm, I'm really happy I t- i'm really happy i took oh France. for sure <laughs> where did you stay in france when you yeah, went to uh, yeah so i was um so I did like two two study abroad programs for that. Um, U, U of I also like has great like their study abroad office has always been been really good, um, and a lot of other students from Big Ten schools can will you know take courses from the U of I study abroad office and transfer their courses back to their home institutions and stuff. Um, so just a little shout out there. Um, so I studied for a summer in Arles in France, which is like south of France. Um, and stayed with a host family there. Um, there was maybe 20 other U of I students on that program. Um, and you kind of just, you know, you're in the, you're in the region learning, learning language, learning culture and, and whatnot. Um, and so that was about three weeks. And then, uh, and then I did a full semester abroad program in uh, Brussels in Belgium. And, and that would uh, that would just kind of reinforce your French, or did you have to pick up any Walloon, or what was the? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we learned a little. We learned a little uh, Flemish, but um, 
primarily yeah primarily just to, to reinforce the french the the degree requirements were that you have to do a semester long study abroad at minimum so the the summer program was just kind of you know like a bonus um and yeah so the that french studying french in belgium was was probably probably half language and then the other half was um kind of international relations in the context of the european union so i learned a lot about the you know the european union and whatnot um and a bit of uh, Belgian history and culture. Um, and then the second part of that was an internship. Um, and that, that's where we wrote our, our undergraduate thesis. Um, so I interned with a organization in Brussels called uh, Médecins du Monde, which is similar to Médecins Sans Frontier, which is Doctors Without Borders. Um, this is a similar organization, Doctors of the World. Um, and there are a lot of my my specific research there was looking at various countries in the EU and uh, undocumented migrants and their access to to healthcare within the EU um, or within those specific countries. So I think I was looking at Greece, Spain, and Sweden, if I remember my three case studies, um, and yeah, kind of drawing drawing upon coursework that we had during that, and then you know data and the structure of the internship um, kind of informed that thesis as well um and can i ask a, a follow-up yeah. question about uh, your thesis what did you find you know i would imagine you, you've had so much time to reflect and read and study with what you're looking at especially if it was within the lens of the way in which economics would then therefore impact uh kind of global health um what, was there one type of force magnifier of policy or allocation of resources that seem to have the most benefit um, that you found in your studies uh, of that, that let's say the European Union or some other big institution that could then uh, help out collectively global health or poverty. What was the one thing that you found that was the most significant um, con contributor or I, I guess I, I start off with force magnifier of that? Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. I should have read my thesis before I came on here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, I, that's a really interesting question. So this was 2014, and this was kind of ongoing. It's it's a really complicated question, I, and I don't know if anyone has a definitive answer. So this is 20, so in 2014, um, kind of had that's kind of was kind of the start of the like want to call it the refugee crisis in in Europe that was caused by the Syrian civil war um or the, primarily caused by the oh uh, yeah you would have been there right around that time yeah um i can't remember the exact timing of that um kind of just thinking about like major news stories around then um but it definitely became i mean it became a big issue for the european union in general and in terms of actors that are able to exert influence on this issue the most, I mean, the European Union is probably the one that is that is uh, most able, but it's really complicated because even though the European Union took action on this on this matter, it caused like extreme political blowback that was realized two years later with Brexit, um, and opened up a Pandora's box of questions for the European Union, like what is <laughs> what is the purpose of 
multilateralism in the 21st century, basically, um, <laughs> or, or, you know, these, these types of, uh, these types of international agreements that bring, that brings countries such as that are in the European Union closer together. Like, is it, is it predestined that everything just becomes close, you know, more integrated? That's, I think, still an open question and was, even though the European Union had, had the capacity to respond to this crisis and, and I think a lot of, you know, there's debates over how much, how much assistance they can provide. I don't, I don't have a straight answer for that, but, it, but even just responding to this opened up more questions for them. I think that's, no, no I think doubt. that's I mean, interesting, interesting that you said though, that, that whatever the, the, whatever policy of maybe being maybe more open or welcoming created the type of maybe nationalistic blowback that it gave the pretext for Brexit. Uh, I mean, that, right. that, um, that, that's, that's interesting. Right. So and, you and want even, to mention that you, you were in the Arctic. Um, yeah. uh, what was that like? <laughs> that was awesome. Um, <laughs> that was, um, so I was able to take all of these things that they, as they apply to uh, global studies. So this was the, this course specifically was um, looking at environmental changes or climatic changes in the Arctic and also just the kind of the built environment. Um, so we did a, in terms of just like the, pro the program itself, it was uh, three weeks in Stockholm, uh, about 20 American students and 20 Swedish students. Um, and you know, three, three weeks of uh, classroom study there. And then we flew up to Svalbard, um, which is an archipelago north of Norway in the Arctic Circle. Um, we were there for about two weeks there, a couple days in the main city of Lankjurban, and then about 10 days at a field camp um, in one of the inlets, like a fjord inlet um, up there, just like, yeah, just camping. Um, that was that was awesome. So you know, saw some polar bears. I, I, bears just for clarification, yeah. uh, you were there during the summer months or winter months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. July, uh, July. So it was 20, okay. 24 hours on. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> there are. I just saw a BBC article the other day about some two research, two Arctic researchers who've been camped out there for like nine months or something. So. Um, yeah, that was that was a, that was a really great program. Um, so in terms of like practical things that we did. Um, Kind of on the environmental science science side, uh, we took permafrost samples. Um, we measured lichen on glacial like boulders that have been deposited by glaciers. Um, and by measuring this this lichen, you could essentially measure the age of it, and then you know that would give you an idea of when this glacial de deposition occurred. Um, and you know, it's not like, of course, it's not like we're not solving any global problems or having any ground, groundbreaking research necessarily, but it was definitely a program that just built, kind of built those basic uh, field, when you saw, like field data skills, field collection skills. Um, and and then kind of the part two of that was the built environment of the Arctic. So looking at, um, we went to an old, that, that, that archipelago in particular has been, uh, what do you want to say, settled, uh, I guess, but, or, you know, administered by Norway, by, by Russia, um, and the U.S. has also been involved, um, and I think a few other uh, big actors in the Arctic, um, mainly due to their coal deposits. Um, so there was an old Soviet mining town there called Pyramiden that we were able to go and, and check out as part of this uh, field course. Um, we, just, we, we were like a, maybe a two-hour walk from our camp to this 
you know, this this town that had been abandoned maybe in 1994 and just had just had been starting to be repopulated. So there were a couple of people from mainland Russia there, um, and you know, it just has really <laughs> alighted like an interest in whatever the hell happened in the Soviet Union in me, um, just kind of historically. Um, uh, and you can imagine over the Arctic winter is just degrading this like little Soviet town. And, you know, they've got, you know, the, the avenues laid out, as you imagine, the bust of Lenin, you know, the architecture is very, you know, it's what you see in pictures. Uh, so really cool to, to walk around and, and, and see that. And, and so, you know, we kind of documented that um, for, for our class and then also, you know, compared that to, okay, well, this, these are the historical Russian settlements. What's made the Norwegian, what's made the Norwegian settlements uh, more viable etc that kind of that kind of question um that's, but also... that's, that's interesting to kind of see like how how the um how one became abandoned and while the other one is still somewhat being you know relevant uh, uh in, in some capacity yeah. um all right so then wow what an amazing experience that was, that was super, yeah that was probably yeah. the highlight highlight of my of my undergraduate degree i think yeah. and highly Highly subsidized by U of I. If you did that trip on your own, I think you'd be. You'd be I, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How cool is that? Yeah. So, um, all right. So then you finish your your undergrad uh, at U of I, and then you make your way to uh, another Big Ten school directly, or how did you get to University of Wisconsin then? Yeah. Um, so I also had kind of maybe kind of a gap year after uh, <laughs> after after undergrad. Um, yeah, I didn't. I came back from so my the that semester abroad in Brussels was like the uh, that was my last semester in college. So I came directly back from that to uh, to job searching at home, basically, <laughs> um, and not without not a lot of success. So I on <laughs> I drove for I drove for Lyft in Chicago for for about a year before um, before going to my master's program, but it, that was. Uh, <laughs> I was still also confused. I was like, what I should do. Um, and this is maybe something kind of in, in the, in the advice section of, of, of this for, for, Towards the uh, end. For, high, for high school, for high school students. Like I, part of like club studies was awesome. And it was something that I was really motivated about while I was in school, but it didn't, there wasn't a clear path for that after I was done. And some of that I could have done a better job probably in undergrad, like looking back, definitely like there were more things to take advantage of. But at the time, I don't know, I wasn't, wasn't operating in that way. Um, and yeah, so I, so ended up going for a master's degree and I think that helped define a lot of the things that I, the direction I wanted to go from coming out of undergrad. Um, but that little year between undergrad and my master's was still, I don't know, still feel like I, uh, Oh, I would like, imagine you probably just the stories of people that you met while you were a Lyft driver must have yeah. been. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound anything groundbreaking, but it was, I, I loved that aspect of it. And, you know, driving around Chicago, like any, pl any place, <laughs> like I, I love to eat and love like, like a main reason I would travel would be for like to try new foods and whatnot. Chicago's got a great, great food scene, obviously. And so when I was, when I was driving around, like I would just look for like, wherever there's like 12 yellow cabs parked outside, that probably means it's like a really good like hole in the wall ethnic place or something. And I would just document all these little places and go back and visit them when I was told with my shift. And I love that was like a really rewarding part of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I felt like I was. What was getting, the best, getting, what was your best diamond in the rough restaurant that you found? I was two. Um, 
there's a Pakistani place on the north side. Uh, I think it's called Khan's, like Khan's Grocery. I can't remember the name. Um, and what was the, what was the specialty there? And they just, I would just honestly just dial. <laughs> like it didn't matter, <laughs> just dial. Oh, wow. Um, and then, and then there was a Somali place. I didn't. I'd never had Somali food before, and that was like I had found it through this, also through that same method. Um, I just saw like a delicious goat biryani from there, and yeah, those are like two definitely two places that I always always go back to when I'm in that area, which isn't often now, but <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, 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 up, up yeah. North. So, what what did you settle on as your graduate uh, degree that then up at? Uh... Yeah, so I knew so a lot of my undergrad stuff, as I said, had been. Yeah, kind of international develop, development focused, um, and that, and kind of within within international development, you kind of have, you could say like economic development, health and development, um, environmental development, social development. You kind of you know different aspects of this, and and earlier on in undergrad, I was I was involved in economic development, um, but kind of moving away from that, I kind of realized that I was less interested in like bringing capitalism to everybody um and but still wanted to have kind of like i don't know some sort of impact on the world so trying to think about like the most altruistic way of doing this is like okay well providing you know making sure that everyone is healthy is like quite quite a good thing um so i was looking at i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do for grad school but i had another friend of mine from global studies who had gone to the university of sheffield this is in the uk um and he did his master's there um not what i did but he did a he did a poli science master's um but we knew each other from undergrad so we got talking and and he got me interested in in this university in the uk um so i started looking at other places to do a master's abroad um one because it's cheaper than doing it typically cheaper than doing a master's in the us um they're typically one-year programs um and so you only have to only have to pay for one year and sometimes you know maybe scholarships are better or something um but so i so i settled on this degree at the university of sheffield that was uh, a master's in public health and international development um so that kind of another interdisciplinary thing where it kind of combined you know previous development coursework that i've done and also like okay the practical foundations of a of a master's in public health so that you know, I can move forward into a professional job after this instead of, you know, not that I didn't enjoy the time driving for Lyft after undergrad, but I knew that I wanted to, you know, continue to to build like professionally and academically. Right. So, so you, so you had, so it was the University of Sheffield that you did your, your grad work at. My, ma- my master's. Yeah. So that'll transfer, I can, I'll be able to transfer some of those courses into this PhD program. Um nice. But yeah, that was so. Uh, so, when you live in, so where where is Sheffield in relation to like uh, in the UK? Yeah, it's right. It's in the north of the UK. So about three, your two two three hour train ride from London, and then about an hour train ride from Manchester. Um, kind of in the kind of kind of in the set like the center of the whole island. Uh, if you're looking at the the British Isle, uh, what, what was the focus of your your thesis there? Um, that was that was also written as as part of an internship um yeah that pro that this is this is a great program um so i've recommended the university of sheffield and 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 a similar program to to other other people that i that i know as well um my thesis there was studying um two 
HIV centers in rural Mozambique. Um, and this was part of a NGO called Solidar Med, and this, they're an NGO in Switzerland. Um, and so, was, so after after the, the coursework of, of the MPH, we spent the summer following that um, at our internship placements. Um, and there were some that were in the UK, but mostly they were in developing countries um, or Switzerland, or I think Switzerland was the only one in Europe uh, other than the UK. Um, a lot of people go to Sierra Leone or Jordan or Thailand or India or Kenya um, and do, they, they would kind of be placed into an inter, internship and, and write their dissertation as part of that. Um, so my, my placement was in Switzerland, um, in Lucerne, Switzerland. Um, and yeah, so this, this NGO had health programs in I think five different sub-Saharan African countries. As I said, these were specifically in Mozambique and over the course of my internship, you know, I kind of I would kind of work on a program, um, and then towards the end, they had data from from these two. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to like recall the specifics of my dissertations here. I should have brought, <laughs> should have had them in front of me when I'm doing this. Um, I may have to make a Google map of all the places you travel. <laughs> incredible. So by my count, uh, it's inc- it's unbelievable. I think there's. Uh, I've got some. Other, I'll tell you about a few others, but let me fin- let me finish this thought on a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, dissertation. Um, anyways, yeah. So they had a they had a ton of data on these two um, these two clinics that they had. Mainly, they were, they were just they were HIV clinics, um, and they would provide ret- uh, antiretroviral treatment for patients. Um, they'd also provide uh, support and counseling groups and whatnot. So they had patient level data um, for about ten thousand patients and about thirty different variables for each patient. Um, anything from like what combination of ART therapy they were on. Um, you know, to whether they were part of a support group, how far they lived from the health center, what kind of transportation they had, et cetera. Um, so my, my thesis within that was to take that data and run statistical analyses on it, see over time how their programs changed, um, and also account for um, any, like, how, their, how the program budget might have affected these things. Um, and. So just a broad analysis of, of these two of these two health centers, um, and then at the end of that, presented recommendations and my data to to the board. Um, yeah, was... wow, that must have been really satisfying knowing that you gave them an actionable plan to make them more lean uh, yeah. in that in that way. So wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know there was it's limited what you can do as as an intern, right, versus like someone who sure. has been there on the program for some amount of time. Um, but, but it is also like you have someone with a fresh pair of eyes, um, you know, doing something that a normal program officer wouldn't normally do, you know, in their day to day. Um, so yeah, I think that was really important and, and speaking personally, like a great experience for myself, obviously just to be a part of that. And, and that was like a very significant, like, I mean, the most significant written document I've produced. So, <laughs> Wow. You know, it just feels good at the end of that. <laughs> wow, that's so great. Now you ha- have so you today's day one of your uh, pursuit of your PhD at uh, University of Wisconsin. So how did how did this kind of coalesce to be your your new focus for your PhD? Yeah. Great question. Um, so. Yeah, so during during that MPH, um, because a lot of it was 
you know, there's the international development component. And you know, this was about 2015, 2016, you know, environmental change and climate change had really become part of the discussion, uh, you know, the academic discussion of, or within international development by that time. Um, and it kind of started to tie together, you know, a little bit of the health and environment part of that, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really a focus of it. Um, so coming out of that, that was something I was really interested in. Um, and likewise, leave, leaving Europe again that time was living at home, like trying to figure out what the hell to do. And uh, <laughs> there was another PhD program actually in, this one was in Barcelona that I had applied for and was a finalist in, but didn't get it. But this was all, it was a very specific environment and health related uh, PhD. And so that, I think I just found it, I think one of my, I think my my advisor from my master's program had emailed me that program, um, and that kind of set off the thinking of like, well, I didn't get into that, but like I know that that's a field that I'm really interested in. It's really motivating to me um, because it kind of combines a lot of these things that I've previously been interested in, like health, international development, environmental science. You kind of put them all together when you're looking at environmental determinants of health, um, and. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And at that time I had $0 and I was looking for a job. So I was um, just kind of applying to a whole smattering of things. And, and just by chance, like got into a, a clinical research position at UW-Madison. Um, and yeah, that was, was kind of a, a, a adult, like, I don't know, kind of the first adult movement. Um, I was like, okay, moving to a new city for a new professional job, et cetera. Um, and I, but I knew it wasn't like entirely what I wanted to to do. But I figured, you know, build up a, build up a base, you know, get settled, like figure out figure out the path forward from there. Um, so when I was at UW Madison, I I I can't remember how I come across this. I mean, just googling around. But I I figured out that this my current advisor, uh, Dr. Pats, he's that he that he's one of the founders of this environment and health field, and. He was at the UW Madison Global Health Institute, and I was like, "Well, all right, well, this <laughs> this is a good place to start." Then I guess I should get to know this guy. Um, and I I emailed him a couple times back in 2018, 2017. Um, never got a response, and then right before COVID, I was at a seminar, like a, some environment seminar, with my girlfriend at the time, and she she was like, "Hey, Jonathan Pass is here." I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I should go talk to him." And I went up and introduced myself, and I was like, "Hey." Like, PhD programs, blah, 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 asking him about that. And he's like, did you email me? And I'm like, yeah, a couple of years ago. And he's he's like, well, I have 70,000 unread emails. So <laughs> Don't <do you> uh, <laughs> yeah, so he gave me his number. And like through that, you know, we texted a bit and I applied for his program, you know, program with him as my advisor and whatnot. So that's how that <laughs> just really serendipity. I think yeah, if COVID had happened like two months earlier, I never would have met him. And that would have. Uh... <laughs> so yeah. to become a PhD. Maybe walk us through the steps of like what the coursework looks like and, and how long it'll take and what is it that's a kind of a, a deliverable thing that you have to produce in order to become a, a full-fledged PhD. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it will take me probably about four years. Uh, this kind of depends on how much of my previous, my master's coursework will transfer or how much will transfer over and how, how much I want to use that. I mean, there's definitely some, like I, you know, I, I don't want to just rely on that coursework to go forward. Um, so the typical, typically a PhD can, will be about three and a half to 
to five years if you're three and a half if you're really good um or if you're just if you really know what you want to be researching and your data is really accessible or you already have your data um it can also take longer than five years um i think they time they time you out at 10 years here and you have to retake your courses that were over 10 years old but <laughs> i don't want to be here for 10 years um, makes sense i want to be yeah. fresh <laughs> Um, so kind of the process that I'll go through is the first, the first two, two and a half, three years or so will be, um, you know, you'll be taking grad level courses um, specific to this program. Um, I'll be kind of the three categories that I'll be drawing from will be environmental science or ecology related courses, and then kind of epidemiological or public health courses, and then kind of measurements and analysis courses. So that, you know, things like learning, learning GIS, learning R programming, um, you know, learn, learning statistics for future research that I'm going to be doing, um, you know, within the context that that would be, be applicable on the public health side and the uh, the environmental science side. Um, and during that time as well, you'll also have uh, some research, research credit hours, which are working specifically on your own, uh, you know, on your own program. The way I'm funded during this, um, in order to get tuition remission, um, I have a research assistantship appointment within my lab. Um, I think I'm really fortunate because we don't have like a bench lab or anything. And my advisor doesn't, he doesn't request too much out of his research assistance from what I can gather. I'll, I will find out more about this going on, but, uh, or going forward, but it's probably more typical in a standard lab, especially if you were in just like a pure, you know, just microbiology or something that your research assistantship would be, you know, you'd be putting in face hours in a bench lab um, or, you know, doing some sort of analyses or editing or something um, to kind of earn, earn your keep, so to speak. Um, but that will vary by professor, like some, some are more lenient than others, some really track your hours. Um, there are other types of funding as well. You can be a TA, um, you can apply for outside fellowships and scholarships, which I will also do going forward. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of a variety of funding that you can get to, to go forward in that. So, so after your first two years of classes or so, um, the hope is that you've found maybe a fellowship or something that's going to fund, um, the next couple years of your research. And so after you've taken the courses that you, you know, that you need to take, then you'll spend time collecting your data. And that can take on so many, that can be really complicated it's really it's really hard to answer in one sentence kind of how that is but that could be i mean you could literally be traveling internationally to go collect field data like you know trapping animals and like collecting biological samples from them or it could just be like you know collecting uh data that's already been processed and whatnot that's available online um but typically you'll be you'll be pretty or not typically you'll always be pretty involved in that uh in that step and then we'll kind of go from there to the uh to the dissertation writing phase and and there's some other steps along the way, um, prelims and qualifiers that you need to pass to kind of get to each step along the way. But the idea behind it being that your advisor and your your uh, PhD committee is there to support you at, before you get to each step, so that you're not you're not failing each step, right? You're kind of building up over over years. Get different that. like gateways, you know, that you can exactly. get there. Um, so typically, what is a how how long is a dissertation? Like like is how many how many pages does yeah, that? It's, 
does that look like? I mean, obviously the writing of it, it has to be a substantial time commitment, but just out of yeah. a, a ballpark, what would be a, 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 a dissertation length be like for something that you're getting into? Um, for this school in particular, uh, for the Nelson Institute in particular, um, they do give you the option that it can be three. If you have three first author publications um, in, a, in significant journals, then you can use those for a dissertation. Um, that's really, that's really individual dependent though. I would say more typically, uh, a fully written dissertation project, I don't know, a hundred, 120, 150 pages. My, for my master's, mine was like 48, 47 pages or so, but it's hard, it's hard to give like a page count because, you know, a lot of, you know, if you're just, if you have a lot of stats or something, you know, you're gonna be showing a lot of cross tabs or charts or whatnot, that's, you know, that'll take up page count and is, and is less, you know, it doesn't require you typing every single word on the page or something, you know. It sounds um, like a, a weird question, but like, yeah. is there a particular epidemiological um, or disease that you're, you're kind of leaning towards that you're interested in seeing how that has its kind of global spread? And like, wh what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you imagine your your initial research will kind of lead you to, yeah. to go towards? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, I, and I'm and it's something I'm actively trying to define. I mean, a big inspiration for me to pursue this has obviously been COVID, um, and just trying to uh, kind of having two minds. Pre previous to COVID, like it was something that I was thinking about as well, um, and within that context. Um, I was thinking about studying Lyme disease specifically. Um, oh, yeah. Lyme is becoming much more prevalent uh, in the upper Midwest um, due to forest fragmentation. Uh, you know, changing uh, you say like changing changing seasons um, and ecological changes within within fragmented forests um, are leading to much higher increase uh, incidences of Lyme disease in human populations. Um, and I have a friend, a close friend, who has chronic Lyme, and that's. I've seen what it's and the impact it has on his life. So that kind of a, a personal motivation there. Um, but COVID happened in the meantime of me kind of applying and thinking about all this. And it kind of synthesized everything that I was, you know, kind of had rolling around in the back of my mind for a few years. Um, so I don't, I don't have a disease of focus specifically. It, I mean, it may very well be, be COVID related. There's also, you know, some of these decisions are also driven by funding and there's going, I presumably there's going to be a lot of funding on, uh, coronaviruses, yeah. Uh, yeah, on coronaviruses and, and ecological determinants of, of emerging diseases related to coronaviruses. Um, so that also kind of played a role is that I would like to be funded, uh, well for this program. So, um, obviously, yeah, obviously in, in addition to being obviously like obviously the most, the most pressing problem that we currently are facing um but i haven't thought yet you know kind of what the kind of what this environment and epidemiology connection or ecology and epidemiology connection is you know there's different different processes different environmental changes and processes are playing out in different parts of the world right so you in the amazon you have uh you know parts of the amazon are being cleared for for cattle grazing um Similar, similar things, but slightly different are happening, uh, you know, throughout the uh, forests of Southeast Asia and these, and kind of these tropical forests are 
uh, you know, primary places where we would expect uh, disease disease emergence. Um, so I don't I don't have an answer yet on like a specific disease that I'm focusing focusing on, but I I think um, I think kind of the path forward for me is is defining what land use changes or what environmental changes that I'm specifically looking at, and then looking at risk factors from from there. If that that's makes sense. Just that's I mean I, I just so many different convergences happening uh, right. with that. I was right. curious. I, I was reminded that my uh, my grandfather uh, was uh, also got his PhD uh, at University of Wisconsin at Madison, and um, in uh, but he was in a different department. He was in the um, dairy sciences, and okay. I'm trying to find his paper right here. Uh, I don't know that this was his thesis statement, but it's um, looking up Willard Langus in 1939 wrote a paper on milk and starters for brick cheese. So wow. that's my uh, PhD <laughs> connection to uh, University awesome. of Wisconsin. Well, I'm sure, um, so, I'm, I'm sure the people of Wisconsin have gotten <laughs> gotten their, their their worth out of that paper. Well, <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah, my, my grandfather went off to work for um, uh, Kraft, and he was one of the lead developers for uh, grated Parmesan in the cans wow. that uh, we all love. So yeah, <laughs> my our family's <laughs> contribution to the universe is that. So I mean, that's um, pretty. So, that's pretty yeah, it's great. So Tom, this is the part of the interview where I like to, you know, you've you've had such an incredible travel experience, and you've seen yeah. so many things, and you know, you've you've um, you've really found such a way to kind of work through your intellectual curiosities to kind of arrive at this particular program. So you have such a unique perspective. Um, what types, what tips of advice would you have for current wildcats about learning and about success? <laughs> it's uh, elusive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's always something that you're building on, right? So it's every, I think, I think it's, really important that you don't need to know everything, but you need to know more than you did pre previously. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, this was, I was looking at your, the questions you had given me previously, and this was probably the one that I was, I was thinking about the most. Um, I think things, I think I had said this earlier too, but things that you, that you do and that you don't like can inform thing, inform your directions in just, in almost just as good of a way as something that you do really like. Um, and kind of on that note, things that are obstacles at the time, like being as maybe as cliche as it sounds, obstacles being opportunities. Um, but definitely, I mean, I feel like that's something that I've lived a bit, um, just in terms of kind of just in terms of not knowing what I wanted to do professionally, like doing a wide variety of things and being curious about the world at large has did did give me direction. It just you know, it's taken it's taken time, like a twenty nine, almost thirty, and and quote unquote starting a program right, you know, now, but uh, or you know, starting starting a career right now or something. Um, I don't think those timelines matter as much. Um, yeah, in terms of in terms of uh, yeah, kind of talking about that obstacles to opportunity thing. Um, yeah, you know, like. Not to get like too personal, like this isn't this is this kind of stuff isn't going to apply to everyone. But like last uh, 2019, like I had a really bad knee injury, and that like sidelined me from like a lot of uh, like 
sports and like other activities like hiking and whatnot that I really like to do um, and kind of made me synthesize like, okay, like what, so I, you know, kind of being limited to do certain things, like what can I do? Like what kind of pushing me in a direction to think about like, what, where do, where do I go from here? Like what, how do I apply myself in a way that I can now? Um, and of course, like the day-to-day -day being like a big struggle, but over time that becomes more clear. Um, and a similar process kind of playing out during, during COVID as well, like really, really like I, I live, I live alone um, and really struggled like during, you know, to, was working from home as well, um, you know, kind of over the summer, you know, spring, summer, fall of COVID. And like when we had our big case spike here, I was, you know, I kind of really, really started just lock, lockdown and not have any like social contact and whatnot just for, for health you know, for health, for my health sake and, and to be good about COVID. And, uh, you know, I kind of had a similar reaction where it's like, well, this really sucks, but like, can it, you know, could it does, does it boil down to things that really matter? Um, I, I mean, I think the answer that I have so far to that is uh, it, it, it kind of did and kind of made me um, really focus on this program specifically um, and, 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 and apply and apply myself to it and, and, and be motivated about it in ways that maybe I hadn't been about uh, my job previously or something. Um, yeah, so I'd, that's really broad advice or, or really specific advice to myself. But I, but I think taking that that time to see um, to see challenges as something that you can you can confront and make something out of and something I'll kind of a little a little thing I'll use, like when I am confronted with a problem or something that I'm, that I don't know how to go forward, but I know that I, that I try to be introspective about it. I, I try to think about four, four words, particularly I've, I've written these down because I, <laughs> I do think about this a lot, um, but fear, doubt, laziness, and ignorance. And I feel like any challenge that I've had going forward is usually one of these things that have been holding me back or been a problem in my mind and so just trying to apply the problem that i have and say okay is it like what am i afraid of what am i ignorant of am i doubting my am i doubting something am i doubting myself am i just being lazy and sometimes that'll give you an answer on like how you know maybe how you're reacting to something and, and might give you a path forward i love that last you know those that four it's got to be one of those four buttons, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, th I think so. I think I, I there's piercing really. I'm, when you sure, think about I'm it. sure there's other. Uh, there might be other things, but broadly, yeah, you can. I think you can broadly put most. Oh, of those it's a starting. It's a starting point for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, Tom, thank you so much. This was been. This has been really so fascinating to hear all. You know, just your wide ranging um, studies and scholarship and travel. It's just been so fascinating to hear. Uh, you know, again, all the places that you've been and what you've learned and, and all that. So I wish you the, the best of luck moving forward. And then maybe, goodness, if I'm still doing this, uh, this interview, we'll get you in your Dr. Leffler in a couple of years, yeah. four years. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be great. Have, well, have you, uh, when, when you're done, maybe someone can interview you for it. <laughs> you never know. You never know. It, could, it can happen. So that's yeah. great. All right, cool. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple Music, Podcasts, and search We Go Vox.